Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history. And with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome aboard. It is J.C. and Morgan, and we've got games to discuss. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Hope everybody is doing well. I know you're doing better because you had a college, a full college football weekend with all due respect to week zero (laughs) to really soak it all in and enjoy it and feel like things are uh, normal again. I don't know if we ever totally felt that way last fall. Uh, JC, uh, you know, I was in uh, Nashville where something very abnormal happened on the football field. You were uh, taking it all in, I guess. Were you in the Palmetto State or the Windy City? I was uh, Windy City this week. Palmetto okay. State here in a couple of weeks, but uh, just got the full effect from Thursday right on through Sunday night. You know, of course, Notre Dame is a big deal up here, and had went to a watch party uh, Sunday night for that classic, for lack of a better term. It was a, it was like an old school Notre Dame Florida State game. Um, Pretty high score, but uh, got to take a lot of it in, like the whole uh, kit and caboodle. And uh, certainly, you know, a, a lot of things that uh, went well for a lot of teams and a lot of things that, uh, you know, are, are disasters. <laughs> I think you saw a disaster on, on Saturday night, but uh, it's uh, it's it's week one and, and sometimes the unexpected happens. Um, you know, th- this probably wasn't the biggest epic week one that we've ever had. I think we've said that now for a few years in a row now, but it was pretty daggum good. And I tell you from the moment, um, you know, I started watching some Thursday night stuff, but from the moment I saw Virginia Tech's fans um, Friday night against North Carolina and inner Sandman and Lane stadium hopping with 60,000 plus Hokies. uh, That's when I knew things were getting back toward normal right now. Um, You know, just that to see that crowd and that energy, uh, that we all know exists at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, was tremendous, and it willed them to a win, a big win for Justin Fuente. Um, and then it just kept on rolling for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, we had some we had some landmark games, uh, and then we had some ones that didn't quite live up to the hype. I, I, I know it was competitive, and I, I can appreciate defense as much as the next guy, but when you have a game without an offensive touchdown as your marquee matchup in Georgia Clemson, that's not quite what a lot of us had in mind. Well, we'll get into that game. We'll get into, as you mentioned, Florida state, Notre Dame was kind of a, an instant classic. You had LSU uh, and I'll have the Bayou Bengals this Saturday in Baton Rouge. 
they lose to UCLA. And I would caution people that are focusing on what LSU did wrong in that game versus you might have to uh, accept the fact that UCLA is pretty doggone good this year. And, and a guy that has been a pinata for the last few years, so you and I have kind of defended, is Chip Kelly. Um, I, I still think Chip Kelly's got some good coaching left in him. And now he's got talent to work with. If you watch that game, the edge on the line of scrimmage did not go to LSU, which I think almost everybody would have expected. It was UCLA who was a more physical team. Uh, And they've got a quarterback that's not great, but good enough. And they've got a a transfer running back from Michigan who is good. Uh, And they've got a defense. And when you got that and you got Chip Kelly drawing up offense, pretty good combination. So that was one of the marquee games as well. And then you circle back. I, I think a uh, big picture wise, this is going to be uh, remembered as somewhat chaotic for a week one in college football. We always have one of these like that sneaks up on us in November, but in week one, we had eight top 25 teams lose uh, Clemson, UNC, Wisconsin, Miami, LSU, Indiana, Washington, Louisiana, We had FCS programs, multiple FCS programs upsetting FBS, including Washington losing to Montana. That's the first time a top 25 team has has lost to an FCS school in a while. Um, We we, we had a number of just odd things go down. I mean, Oklahoma, we've been told that this is their best defense yet, and they couldn't keep Tulane's offense off the field. They needed – they needed a trio of 50-yard-plus field goals to win that game. Uh, and then you had a number of SEC schools, quite frankly, that were very fortunate to win, that 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 struggled at times. Mississippi State tops that list uh, that needed 20 points in the fourth quarter to knock out uh, pesky Louisiana Tech. So you had a lot of strange things go down in week one. Um, that's part of what we love about college football, right? The We have predictability at the top, but we have a whole lot of unpredictability everywhere else. So that's what I think we saw in week one. Yeah, and, you know, look, Tulane, Willie Fritz does a really nice job with them and that program. Uh, I think he's one of the more underrated coaches uh, in the country. Uh, and, and just the way they fought after having to move the game to Norman, uh, you know, I, I think – is good. And, and I think Oklahoma to a certain extent slept walk a little bit, but uh, that would be a red flag for me. If I were talking about Oklahoma in a playoff situation, uh, because I, Mike, I, I think defense, one of the themes of the weekend for me is the defense defense has returned. Um, you know, North Carolina, Virginia tech, Clemson, uh, Clemson versus Georgia, uh, you know, Penn state, Wisconsin, that Penn state defense is nasty, nasty. Uh, you know, Alabama looked really good on defense as well against a team that should put up points this year. Um, but yeah, th- that was you're, you're absolutely right with some of the weirdness that happened. Um, you know, and, and I think I think I think there's there's we do the DEFCON thing, right? And the DEFCON's mm-hmm. the the, the DEFCON one's the worst. You know, uh, I, I got that confused one day. Somebody sent me a graphic, so I have it <laughs> on my desk. <laughs> Uh, so I'm like, hey, they're DEFCON 5. It's terrible. And he's like, you're like, no, 
Need you know what's funny? War games again. We started doing that a few years ago, and all of a sudden now, like I see other people doing oh, yeah. that. It's become mainstream again. <sighs> Uh, and, and, and I don't want any credit for it. Um, uh, you know, it, it's based on a, a two-star movie from the early eighties that I saw as a kid. War games. War games. Um, I can't even recommend the movie cause it's not a great movie, but I will watch it every time it's on cable. <laughs> and, and the DEF CON thing is, a, is a real thing. Like that's not fictitious, right? I think that yeah. exists in our, in our true military. Um, and, and so I thought it'd be a fun thing to, to work on. And then every now and then I got the same question. Well, what is DEFCON? Is one the better number or is five the better? Yeah, you get confused. Yeah. So five is good. Like five is peace. Five is everything is hunky dory and nobody needs to sweat. One is like you're on the threat of, of nuclear war. Mm-hmm. And it, in college football analogies, one is where everything is spiraling out of control and your coach seems to be fired and it's it's about to be some really hard times. Five is Alabama is the poster child for DEFCON 5. They just live on DEFCON. They own real estate on DEFCON 5. DEFCON 1 always seems to be in a state of flux, right? It's, it's different programs, different coaches every year. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's uh... – you know, you're right about Alabama. The other ones do uh, go back and forth. But, but shoot, you know, I, I, I did think uh, that there were some defensive performances that were good. Last night, Ole Miss in the first half, and I, I don't know how good Louisville is or is going to be this year, but uh, getting a shutout in the first half compared to what we saw last year, uh, plus they didn't have Lane Kiffin, uh, and they won handedly. I mean, Ole Miss is some – a lot of people – you know, think they're a sleeper uh, in the SEC, and and I tend to agree. Uh, you know, I think we may have a quarterback controversy blow, blowing at Florida, uh, to be honest, because Anthony Richardson, who I've felt for a long time, would eventually pass Emory Jones. Um, and you should listen to me when it comes to Gators' backup quarterbacks, because I thought <laughs> Kyle Trask was better than Felipe Franks when they recruited him. Right. Uh, as far as what McElwain wanted to do on offense and all that, uh, you know, uh, and then there's some same old, same old stuff. Miami, you know, again, you know, I think we all want Miami to be back. I don't think they are. No. Um, I mean, and you don't know. I mean, Alabama, I mean, Miami. No, I, I was, I was saying, you know, I, I wasn't disagreeing with you on that part. Though. I was disagreeing with you on that. We all want Miami to be back. I'll be okay if my, if, if, <laughs> if obnoxious Miami fans who have never so much as stepped foot on that campus mm. but love to wear gold chains and, and get tattoos of the U on their deltoid while they puff their chest out and pick fights at bars with people 10 years younger. I, I'm okay. Um, I'm okay with that. But, but can I, I'll just say this on that, on that front. My favorite part of that game that encapsulates Miami football in the last 20 years they're getting boat raced, right? Basically from the opening kickoff. Like they, they, they were never, they never looked like they belonged on the same field. And De'Ara King was their like one chance. Cause he could, he's quote unquote dynamic and he can run all over the place. And yeah, Miami, Alabama wasn't having any of that. Uh, De'Ara King looked very subpar uh, against that defense, but, but so you're, you're down like whatever it was at the time, 30 points, second half, and Miami gets a turnover. They get a turnover. They get a fumble. So what happens? You're down. You're getting creamed 
There's nothing worth celebrating, but you got that turnover change uh, chain in, in the, in the little lockbox. So you got to take it out and you got to put it on and you got to smile and dance and hoot and holler and where's the camera. And, and then it turns out um, after review, they didn't actually get the turnover. So they, <laughs> So it's like, do you just put the chain back in the box? I don't know what you do. Um, but, but yeah, it was a reminder that Miami is still Miami. And, and for that matter, the ACC is still the ACC because it was not a good week for that league. Yeah, they're, they're, I've got some things to say in the DEF CON segment about uh, the ACC in general. And not just because Clemson lost. Uh, you know, Clemson played – what may be the best defense in the country, you know, with them and North Carolina, both, I think, you know, people have to be very cautious about just assuming that some of these teams not named Alabama just reload. And and that when they replace a guy like Trevor Lawrence and a guy like Travis Etienne, that, you know, they're just going to have another player step in and do well. And that could be the case with Clemson as we move along, but, you know, obviously, you know, whatever's ha- – and look, you know, you hear some of these people out there getting on Tony Elliott. Tony Elliott's the same coach he was when they won national championships. Uh, I know he's had good players, uh, but I also know he's a good play caller. I mean, you know, people talk about uh, – have talked about him like, you know, he's one of the worst in the country after that performance the other night. But, you know, that's going to happen. Clemson and North Carolina both always rank highly in recruiting. But when you when you sit there and you're not – you're not willing to admit that, uh, you know, sometimes five stars aren't going to be five stars until after a year or something like that. Um, this is not basketball. It's a developmental sport. Uh, you know, you should be a little more realistic with it. Now, I didn't see that coming. I, I kind of bought the hype myself and thought, you know, Georgia would be the one I would have concerns with offensively. I just, I didn't see Clemson get dominated coming, but, you know, with them in North Carolina, both, I mean, you know, you've got talent. Sam Howell's still the same guy. He just didn't have anybody to throw with, throw to. Um, and North Carolina's defense was a little is a little young, uh, talented, but young. They got better as the game went on uh, up in Blacksburg. But, you know, things like that are going to happen sometimes. Uh, and, and I think finally, Mike, uh, just to kind of, you know, talk about this a little bit, uh, I, I think last year was a is a year that everybody in the country needs to throw away. Um, the scores were different. Uh, There's a lot of offense, not a lot of defense. They didn't have the, the home field advantage was non-existent in a lot of ways. It, it almost feels like a different game after this weekend. I'm not saying that there won't be big offensive scores because there will be inevitably. That's how the game is these days. But I, I think if you underestimate defense uh, and if you're one of these folks out there that likes to see a seven-on-seven seven game instead of a football game, uh, I think you're going to be disappointed because I, I think this season, you know, is it going to go back to, you know, is Clemson-Georgia going to be the norm? No. But uh, I, I think you're going to see some excellent defensive performances. And I, I just don't know, outside of maybe an Iowa State from time to time, um, you know, I, I don't know that you saw a defense that really made you go, hey, last season. Uh, so uh, I, I would say that's a big takeaway of mine uh, in terms of uh, in terms of this first weekend. I, I think you're spot on on the on the defensive part of the equation. Last year was particularly early on in the year. Defense was 
it was brutal. Um, you know, and, and there, every year we have, we have uh, Johnny old school reminding everybody, they just don't tackle like they used to. They don't wrap up ah. like they used to. Uh, last year was taking that to a whole other level. It was, be, and COVID had a lot to do with that and, and the lack of contact in, in practice. And it was just a, uh, defensive players were not truly prepared to play at a high level when the season started in 2020. That shouldn't be the case in 2021. And you're right. You, you did see uh, more defense from, from teams that are equipped to play good defense. If you're not that talented on defense, doesn't matter uh, what the scenario is. You're still going to suck on defense. But uh, for elite defenses, that that showed up. Um, I'm still, still waiting to see Oklahoma's elite defense. But Nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I, I think the only other thing, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I tweeted about it at Morgan on air at JC Sherbert, but the, the, the targeting penalties, if just mm. you've got to do something about this, uh, you can't be ejecting a handful of players in a game. It, it's, it's way too punitive. Um, there, you could easily do the way they do it in basketball, flagrant one, flagrant two. You could easily do, uh, an amount of infractions. Okay. You get that second one. Now you're out, but you don't, you don't need to be ejecting everybody. Uh, And of course, if you get injected in the second half, that penalty carries over into the first half of the next game. So now you're affecting two games, not one. It's just bad, 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 bad. It bogs the game down and replays. It changes uh, the dynamics of games. It's just bad, 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 bad. That's all I can say about that. And 2022 is what they classify as a you know a rules change year. This year was not really one. Very model, very minimal uh, changes. The overtime, of course, is the big one. But um, uh, but but that's something they're really really going to have to take a look at come 2022. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start SEC? Do you want to start? Uh, let's start SEC. All right. Okay. So so what. what Let's let's bypass the predictability part. Alabama's really good. Georgia's really good. Vanderbilt's really bad. Now let's uh, let's hit on three through thirteen. I, I wrote this down, Mike, and I, <laughs> and I, I was like, "There's there's seven teams in the league: Auburn, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, Arkansas, Texas A and M, and even Mississippi State." Even though they got the bejesus scared out of them that I don't know anything more about them heading into this year, the next week than, than, than I did before. I, I like Kentucky's new offense a lot. Uh, where Will Levis has a very, very strong arm. Uh, but that team, I mean, look, Terry Bowden and Rich Rodriguez gave it a go. <laughs> but uh, that team from Monroe is not very good. Um, you know, I know Arkansas, Missouri, and Mississippi State, to uh, you know, varying degrees, struggled uh, a bit. You know, uh, Missouri won by ten, Mississippi State by one. Arkansas pulled away thirty-eight seventeen against Rice, and I think they scored thirty-one in the second half. But um, I still just, I, I, you know, we'll have to see. Arkansas's got Texas this week, and uh, you know, Missouri goes to Kentucky. Uh, so we'll learn more, but those seven teams didn't learn much. I was not impressed with Tennessee on Thursday night. Uh, Bowling Green is not a very good team. You're sitting there in the second quarter, 
And just as is the case a lot of times with Josh Heupel's offenses over the years, you know, it can put points on the board really quick, but it can get you beat. And you're sitting there in the second quarter, and Bowling Green has 123 yards to five. Uh, Joe Milton was not all that accurate. Uh, In the second half, things got better, and he ran the ball pretty well. Uh, I think this game with Pitt this weekend is the season for them. And I'll change my tune about them if they could – go out and get a victory. They're a three-point underdog to the Panthers at home. That'd be some saving grace for the ACC. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, I did not expect them to lose by 20. You were at that game. Uh, I learned, you know, Ole Miss, I think, has has improved on defense. How much? Who knows? Uh, last night, though, pitching a shutout in the first half, that was impressive. I think Florida's going to have a quarterback controversy. I've I've said this really since last year. I, you know, when Richardson would get into games, I just thought he was a better player. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with you on UCLA. I, I had a chance to watch UCLA play Hawaii in week zero. Uh, I was just watching the game. And, you know, Hawaii's Hawaii, right? But, you know, Todd Graham's their coach. And, you know, he's got a good track record of, of playing tough and all that. And UCLA just physically manhandled them. Um and LSU's got to fix its running game. I mean, that, that's uh, – even the even the national championship year, they weren't a juggernaut at running the football. Uh, and I think that hurts them in games like that. Uh, but, yeah, you know, other than that, like there's half the league that I, I'm like, well, just get to next week and maybe we'll know a little more. But uh, there were some things that stood out to me, you know, obviously beyond the Bama-Georgia thing, I think uh, – you know, there's a, a few things there that we can kind of pin our hat on. Arkansas trailing Rice at the half. They go on to win 38-17. Of course, they're one of the many programs in the league that does have a new quarterback, and there's there's question marks there. A Missouri struggled with Central Michigan. They wind up winning at 34-24. Um, there's other games you just don't learn a lot from. Auburn, Waxing, Akron, you mentioned Carolina waxing Eastern Carolina uh, and even Florida didn't look overly impressive against FAU. That's a cover for the fighting owls from the mean streets of Boca Raton. Um, but yeah, Texas A&M was not, I mean, they were up 10, three at the half against Kent state. So it was one of those where, you know, you got the feeling that some of these teams are kind of jabbing and jabbing and feeling each other out a little bit and, and then it's like, okay, let's let's do what we have to do to finish this opponent off and get ready for 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 next week. Um, we'll 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 look ahead to to the next week. I was, I was trying to think of any other overlying themes. I got what I expected defensively out of Georgia. Offensively, I'll just say this: and this goes back to I know there's a, everybody's excited about a new coordinator and Cohen, but Kirby is built the same way for years Nick Saban was built, uh, the same way for years maybe Will Muschamp was built, and that is doesn't matter sometimes who the offensive coordinator is. You're, you're going to go in line with the philosophy of the head coach. When you have a defensive head coach, uh, they're more apt in a game like that to, to play mistake-free as opposed to, well, we've got our top 50 offensive plays and we're going to run them. It's more of this is the tone I sense of this game, and so we're not going to just open it up and risk ourselves. It's it's the first one that flinches loses, and Clemson was the first one that flinched and they lost. Uh, but I don't 
I don't take from that that Georgia's going to struggle on offense. A, Clemson's got a, a very good defense, and, and it showed. And B, there's going to be a number of games where Georgia has a comfortable lead early on, and they're going to be able to open it up, and they're not going to play. Uh, the, the play calling is going to look different, I do believe. But but that's what I, I took from that. There's some Georgia fans around here complaining about the offense, and they're just be happy you won the game, and, and don't be worried about the point total so much. Yeah, and then look, Georgia. I thought I thought Zamir White played really well. Uh, you know, the thirteen carries, seventy four yards. Uh, you mentioned Todd Mock and the, the offensive coordinator, and, and sort of we didn't get a great look at it last year. Exactly what they could do because they had Stetson Bennett at quarterback at the beginning, and everybody was scoring points and all that good stuff. But JT Daniels, Todd Mock, and you know, you, you sort of think well, there's going to be some more creativity. Also, people have to realize too, Georgia was limited in terms of pass catchers and playmaking ability in the passing game, they still are. Clemson has an outstanding secondary, really good defensive line. I, you know, I, I didn't think the Georgia offense was all that bad. And and I, I do, I think this is one for the, 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 this game was one for the throwbacks, you know, because Georgia basically was like, well, they're not going to, they're going to move it on us. They're not going to score. Our defense is elite. Let's play special teams. And, you know, the difference of the game was a turnover for a touchdown. So they uh, they had a really nice game plan. I know from talking to people over the summer that Clemson was concerned about their offensive line. They were concerned about what they had at running back after losing the ETN. Uh, they have really good, big physical receivers. Do they have a T. Higgins? The closest thing to that is Justin Ross, and he's coming back from an injury. Uh, do they have a, uh, you know, Hunter Renfro or a Maury Rogers, some of those slot guys they've had in the past? Yeah, I don't know. You know, a lot of their guys are these bigger guys uh, that can make plays, but, uh, you know, sometimes you need a variety uh, on that. And then, you know, I, I think we can all agree that DJ Ungulale has uh, an outstanding arm, but he has a ways to go, you know, before he's Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence or what he's expected to be. Um, you know, and you could tell that by watching it. And, you know, I, I think they expected him to probably be a little bit better. But, uh, look, Clemson's got South Carolina State this weekend. That's a get-well game. <laughs> and um, and then we'll see how they do. You know, you, you got uh, probably coming up before they get to mid-October, you have two of the teams in the ACC that I thought did look well, that looked pretty good. Uh, on Saturday, the SNC State and Boston College. Of course, BC gave them all they wanted last year. They didn't play NC State last year. Um, you know, so so I think we'll find out about Clemson after they beat South Carolina State and probably beat Georgia Tech the next week. Definitely, yeah, I'm pretty sure they'll win that one too. When they go to Raleigh on the 25th of September, um, you know, that could be a game that, that, you know, that's a place historically it's given them problems. So I think we'll find out about Clemson a whole lot uh, here in the, in the next four games and, and just kind of see whether that was, you know, whether they're really going to struggle or, or not. Yeah. I think they had more margin of error because uh, uh, they could still easily run the table in, in the ACC, by the way, just to clean up, I, I was mixing my wires, crossing my wires on offensive coordinators, but it's both the same storyline. It's Todd Monken at, at Georgia. And then you've got Liam Cohen now at Kentucky. Who yeah. came from from the Sean McVay tree uh, with the Rams, and, and and both are in a similar situation. You're you're an offensive coordinator for a head coach that's that is very much defensive minded, and you 
it, it, we, we see that happen under these situations. And I'm not being critical when I say this. Kirby's done an outstanding job at Georgia. Mark Stoops has done an outstanding job at Kentucky. But, but both of them, regardless of who the offensive coordinators are, people get frustrated with the, the conservative play calling and the lack of opening it up. That's a byproduct of what the head coach wants. It's the way Nick Saban ran things in Tuscaloosa for a long, long time before he realized, well, things are kind of changing here and I'm going to get ahead of it. And to his credit, he hired Lane Kiffin. I don't think he wanted to hire Lane Kiffin. I don't think he wanted to change the way his offenses were running, but he saw in this day and age of college football, if you're truly going to be championship good, you have to be willing to open it up. You can't just win on defense alone. Uh, and, and so when you, when you have those coordinator positions under defensive minded head coaches, and if, if they're still stuck in that, Hey, this is how you win the game. You limit mistakes. You control the ground game. Uh, you make some throws through the air, but you don't win by throwing the football. Then that's what it's going to look like, uh, uh ultimately. And, and I think you could make an analogy with, uh, with, with both those situations with Georgia and Kentucky, and again, two coaches that have done good things and Mark Stoops and Kirby smart. But that always seems to be the criticism when they lose, sometimes even when they win. Like, where was the offense? Why are we so uh, conservative? Uh, Just to put a bow on the SEC, Auburn, Alabama State, South Carolina, East Carolina. East Carolina is actually a favorite Mm. in that game. Uh, They got a veteran quarterback. They return a lot of starters. And there's a lot of question marks around Carolina. You obviously will be covering that. Any thoughts as to why the line is where it is? I don't. I don't have a good answer because I watched East Carolina too against App State. They they really struggled stopping the run. Um, you know, South Carolina. That's the strength of their team. Gamecocks. Both lines of scrimmage have a tremendous advantage. But the only thing I can think of is, you know, and you you hammer this point home as well as anybody. Mike quarterback play is just so important. Uh, and East Carolina does have a veteran. I think he threw for 295 yards last week. They got some skill guys. They are at home. You know, South Carolina will either start Zeb Nolan or Luke Doty at quarterback uh, again. Um, and so that's probably why they're favored. That that, that said, I would uh, I'd still be really surprised if East Carolina won that football game just just based on talent and strengths versus weaknesses and, and all that. But certainly. You know, first-year head coach, uh, two first-year coordinators that have not done it in the SEC. I know it's not an SEC game, but it's it's a big road game. And, you know, it's probably going to be the Super Bowl for ECU. And, you know, I, I, even with the loss to App State, there were some good things that I saw uh, out of East Carolina last week. So, I, I think it'll be a heck of a ball game, uh, to be honest. I, I, uh, I do. And, and I've got a prediction, too. I think Alabama State – will probably play Auburn closer than Akron did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think people realize how bad Akron really is. But, uh, yeah. but hey, Auburn's going to be 2-0 and going up to Penn State. So, uh, War Eagle to all you folks down there. couple of tune-ups for War, War Eagle, uh, Florida, South Florida. Do you remember when South Florida was good? It wasn't that long ago that South Florida – was the preeminent non-Power 5 program in the state of Florida. They were better than UCF. They were better than FAU. They were better than uh, FIU. They were were actually top 10 a couple of years. They were Mm -hmm. rolling. And then they fired Coach Levitt 
And as if the college football gods said, how dare you do that? We are now going to strike you down. And all of a sudden, Skip Holtz is going to not do as good a job as he normally does. Charlie Strong is going to not do a good job as he normally does. And we're just going to keep having you get worse and worse and worse. And now they got Jeff Scott and they're just bad. I, I just, you know, you got UCF knocking on the door of the big 12. And by the way, we'll, we'll hit on that uh, momentarily. And you got South Florida in the abyss. I just, it's, it's how quickly you can fall, huh? Uh, yeah. I just spoke to a source close to that program beginning of the year quote, we're not very good. <laughs> but <laughs> we have a chance we have a chance to build and it, it, you know that's a tough deal for Jeff Scott they need to be patient with him because you know it's been you know how, how long did uh you know after Taggart left Charlie Strong Charlie Strong got four years I think Skip Holtz got four years there uh Willie got five and ended up having one good team in 2016 and parlayed that into millions of dollars but uh <laughs> Uh, you know, they're not all that patient uh, down there at USF. And, and you probably – look, you want to talk about UCF versus USF real quick. The Knights, they've invested in their program, man. they got a nice on-campus facility. Uh, they've inspired their students to come. 72,000 students when you count, you know, online and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a place with a lot of eyeballs. Right? The Bounce House is a good – home field advantage, um, they've invested, you know. Uh, USF has not to, to date. Now, is Jeff Scott going to help change that? Because, you know, he came from Clemson and his, his dad's down there with him. They kind of know the secret sauce. So that's to be determined. But, uh, yeah, they they need to give Jeff time because if you don't, you're going to get further and further into the abyss, uh, in my opinion, uh, if you keep that, that's not a place like Tennessee where you can just change coaches and, and roll the dice and hope it works out. I think, uh, I think they need to just, you know, say, all right, you know, you got to take your lumps, uh, and then, and then go from there. Speaking of Skip Holtz, check this out, man. And we know we, we both know Skip, you know, mm-hmm. three one point losses on the road to SEC teams in his career at Louisiana Tech, Arkansas by one, South Carolina by one, yeah. Mississippi State by one. Sooner or later, he's going to break through. I thought it was going to be Saturday, but uh, hats off to the Bulldogs and Mike Leach for coming back. Will Rogers, 370 yards passing. I think that's uh, uh, that's a good deal. I've said from the beginning, I thought he was a good fit for that offense. And, you know, it looks like he continues to be. They were down 20 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty legit comeback. Um, A&M, a weird one at Colorado, at Colorado and Denver, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Mercer at Alabama, Texas, Arkansas. That that's that's really intriguing for a lot of different reasons. I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. It'll be seven o'clock on ESPN. NC State, Mississippi State. That's Ooh. intriguing in its own in its own right. Seven o'clock ESPN two. Uh, Kentucky, Missouri. So we do have a true conference game. The winner of that. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe have the inside track to, to second place in the East, depending on how they fare against Florida. Uh, Austin P. Ole Miss, McNeese, LSU, Vanderbilt, Colorado State. Uh, if Vanderbilt's not careful, they could go winless. Um, I, I'm going to tell you, East Tennessee State, 
that wasn't like a flukish, like they won on a bunch of turnovers. They just outplayed them. They looked like the better team. If you swip, if you switch the uniforms, you would have sworn that the SCC team was wearing Buccaneer apparel. Uh, Quark Lee has is, is, is got his work cut out for him because they didn't leave a whole lot in the cupboard for the new administration. Uh, they do play UConn, which looks like they're just ready to give up on Division One football anyway. Yeah. Uh, which might be a good move. And Colorado State, uh, you know, now look, you got to go out to Fort Collins. uh, And and that's my semi-take on A&M Colorado at at Mile High Stadium. Uh, You know, that that altitude sometimes, as we saw with Missouri and Wyoming a couple years ago, can get you. But Vandy's got to go to Fort Collins. Last week, you remember everybody uh, trashing the Steve Adazio hire at Colorado State? Sure. They're probably going to something. The Jackrabbits of South Dakota State of basketball fame. Uh, and they've got a good football program, too. They rolled in to Fort Collins and won 41 to 16 last week. Yeah. So you've got two teams coming off just horrifically embarrassing losses. Um, you know, and, and but it's out there. So Vandy may not win. I mean, UConn's probably a godsend because if there's Anybody in worse shape right now after two weeks of football than anybody in the country, it, it's UConn. You know, the interim coach now, Edsel's gone. They had to – I mean, they 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 just – it's a mess up there. And, it, and it's kind of sad in a way, but, uh, you know, that's uh, – I think there's a lot to get into with that one. We can at another time in terms of yeah. do they even care about football anymore. They're – they're about another really bad loss away from from being in the same chapter as Sewanee in the annals of college <laughs> football history. <laughs> Charter member of the SEC, Sewanee. Yeah, great article, uh, Seth Emerson from the Athletic. Uh, I saw really that. Good, yeah, really yeah. good article on that the other day about Sewanee. I've I've been to their campus before. You know, living in Nashville, that's right between Nashville and Chattanooga. And and you look around, it looks nothing like an SEC football program. But no. you think back the the turn of the the turn of the century, not this past century, but the other one. Uh, and Sewanee was uh, for for you know a certain amount of time. They're a powerhouse. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, outside of of the SEC, any games that you are you are looking at with uh, eyes of interest. Well, you know, Kansas and Coastal Carolina to me is intriguing uh, just because Coastal's beaten them twice now. Uh, and, you know, Kansas got a big Coastal's win Coastal's favorite week. in that one, by the way. Coastal's oh, yeah. a heavy favorite in that Yeah, one. Coastal's a top, the top 25. So, you know, obviously Oregon and Ohio State for the Pac-12, which if there's a, a conference that had issues as much as the ACC in week one, I think it was the Pac-12 with – you know, I think we're seeing the end of the David Shaw two Davids, David Shaw, David Cutcliffe. I think, I think we're seeing the end of that uh, at Stanford and Duke, respectively. Yeah, uh, I'm, I mentioned Pitt at Tennessee. Uh, you know, huge game for Tennessee because you got Tennessee Tech next week. You'd be three and zero going into Florida. That that does a lot for your confidence. I don't think Tennessee's all that good this year, but you could be halfway through a bowl before to a bowl before you play an SEC game. And you do have Vandy, and you do have some other teams on your schedule you could beat. That would be huge. Uh, A&M Colorado out in Denver. I know that's part of the SEC, but uh, another Pac-12 opportunity. 
Uh, the Cy Hawk Trophy. Now, now this is interesting. So Iowa State's gotten a lot of off-season hype, and you know, probably rightfully so. I mean, uh, we all love Matt Campbell here on this show. We we love mm-hmm. the Cyclones, uh, all that good stuff. But they struggled mightily with Northern Iowa last week, sixteen to ten. Now the Hawkeyes played Indiana, another upstart, and Indiana kind of came back to earth a little bit as Iowa rolled them 34 to 6. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if Iowa State changes, like if Iowa comes back to earth, you know, the, and, and that's a big rivalry there as well. Um, you know, I can move Miami up on my DEFCON list if they lose at home to Appalachian State next week, which is possible because that's what Miami does. Uh, you mentioned NC State, Mississippi State. You know, we're going to see how good this alleged Dave Dorn team is, <laughs> uh, you know, because they could go in there and win. The Holy War, Utah and BYU. Uh, uh, speaking of the Big 12, you know, there we I go. Had them That's in the Vegas Bowl years ago. It's going to be great. Uh, and then, you know, in a game that probably has lost a little bit of its uh, appeal, uh, and we wouldn't think of this. We'd probably think, well, Jim Harbaugh probably struggled in the opener. But no, uh, Chris Peterson, uh, who's not walking through that door, hmm. his replacement, Jimmy Lake, who was lauded by everybody's like, oh, God, they're not going to miss a beat. Well, oh, turns, yeah. out, turns out they are, you know. <laughs> and I had, some, I had some questions about that hire as well. Um you know, maybe, you know, Montana historically is a very good FCS program. Uh, you got called. Not, it's not like East Tennessee State, which quit football for a long time and then got back in. Um, you know, Montana's always been there and been pretty good. So, you know, that, that's not the worst thing in the world. But Washington, Michigan, because if I thought Michigan was pretty impressive, their freshman quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, came in the game and played really well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does play this weekend. It's in the big house. So if you're Harbaugh and you can get off to a 2-0 and start, you know, I, I think you're pretty happy about that. So, you know, those are kind of the games I'm looking at. You know, those Big Ten, Pac-12 games. And, again, the luster, the shine is off a little bit with Washington losing. But Oregon, Ohio State, Washington, Michigan, I think uh, will be, uh, you know, pretty solid football. Yeah, well, and and you know the headliner, which is granted is not as maybe as sexy as we thought it would be, uh, and in fact, Ohio State is a fourteen and a half point favorite. But Oregon, Ohio State, that'll be the noon kickoff game. It is Pac twelve. It is Big Ten. I think UCLA is going to win the Pac twelve after putting them under a microscope. Mm. I'll just say that right now. Um, but the, but they need as a conference, they could really use some good things uh, to happen this would be a good one if they could somehow pull off an upset uh, against Ohio State. It was a less than stellar week one because outside of UCLA pulling off the win against LSU, you mentioned some of the disappointing losses and, and close calls for that league. So that that's still one worth getting uh, excited about. And we'll see if Oregon can, can answer the bell. By the way, I, I can't help, you know, Notre Dame, uh, impressive in their win over Florida State, and of course, uh, you know that provided uh, one of the best stories. You know, if, if you've been following uh, McKenzie and, and what happened with him at at UCF, I remember I was in Orlando calling a basketball game 
right around the time that happened. And they truly, there was, there was a, uh, a sentiment out there that he might lose his leg. Like the, it, that's yeah. how serious it was. It wasn't, well, is he going to play football again? It was, he might have to lose his leg. It was almost Alex Smith-like. And his comeback story is Alex Smith-like. And quite frankly, anybody who watched that game, he looked like the better quarterback. Uh, they played it the whole game. They probably win that game, but they didn't. Notre Dame won. Notre Dame's still very good. Um, two things. A, if you are one of those that likes to flex your faux outrage uh, muscle every chance you get, and you you took the Brian Kelly uh, uh, post-game quote to, to heart, and you were truly just aghast by it. It was, it was an attempt at humor. John McKay, I, I realized from, for a lot of people – on Twitter, like if it didn't happen after you were born, that didn't happen. But uh, he was one of the funniest coaches of all time. Made comments like that all the time. The quip master, they used to call him. And he was trying to channel his inner John McKay in the quote. He bungled it. And then people, you know, oh, oh my goodness, did he just say execute his team? Yes. After a big win, that's what he wants to do. He wants them all to suffer death by firing squad. That's exactly, you're all over it. Way to go, uh, woke nation on that. Um, so that was it was just silliness beyond belief. Kelly's one of the classiest guys. Now, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, but he has done a hell of a job with that program. But mm-hmm. Notre Dame is playing; um, <laughs> they're playing Toledo, and that game is on Peacock. If you've ever tried to watch anything on Peacock, now I am a I, I am a Xfinity Comcast subscriber. I pay a lot of money to that fine organization for my cable every month. So I get Peacock for free and it is one of the worst apps I've ever had to deal with. I like to watch the Dan Patrick show when I can. And the thing is just clunky beyond belief and it cuts out and it's so uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you, you watch every game, like most Notre Dame fans do, I could just see the potential for a whole lot of complaints Come Saturday night, uh, mm. Sunday morning, if they don't get that thing working right, uh, has not been. It struggled. They just... struggled during the Olympics too. With that, yeah, that that's right. And it's been weird. Yeah, because like a lot of the other apps, I have like because I'm I'm a streamer now. I I used to kind of be like you, and I couldn't let go of the cable, but I've I've cut the cord and stream and everything's easy to use except that one except peacock yeah <laughs> and you're like um, oh man <laughs> you right know? right but, so uh, and, and i'm glad you mentioned that you cut the court because that is i get asked this question all the time and and you know as, as many fans have already noticed and if you haven't you will once your team is on uh espn plus or sec network plus if you already get those stations then everything's free. So if you're already paying for cable and, and and you're getting ESPN SEC network, it's free, but if it's not, you have to pay, I think it's now what? 699 a month. Yeah. I think, I think they raised it two bucks. Um, but make no mistake about it. That is the future. That's the market correcting itself for people that figured you're going to cut the cord and you're still going to get all the sports you want. You're going to pay for it one way or another. I'm not here to endorse either one of them. Believe me, I've got more, Mm-hmm. more problems with cable bills uh it, it's 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 crazy it doesn't matter which one you have there always seems to be issue customer service are, is lousy but i will tell you that whether you cut the cord and stream or whether you pay for satellite or cable you're going to pay one way or another if you like to watch live sports which if you're listening to this podcast chances are you are one of those um 
uh, such people. Anything else on this you want to – I do want to just touch on the Big 12 momentarily since we haven't had a chance to do that in a while. Um, any other thing on the slate of games, either from week one or week two upcoming? Uh, just just wanted to kind of – we mentioned the Pac-12. And uh, as ugly as the ACC was, the, this was ugly too. Nevada beats Cal. Utah State beats Washington State. BYU beats Arizona. That was expected. Kansas State boat raced Stanford at home and actually played defense and won 24-7. Uh, and Oregon struggles with Fresno State, 31-24. So, uh, kind of an interesting set of, of upset losses uh, in the Pac-12 that first weekend. So Somebody tweeted know. something very clever, and I forgot to write it down. I wish I did. But it, uh, to your point, it was the Bowl Alliance record versus the, <laughs> versus the SEC and the Big 12, and it was not a good record. So for you know this we we covered all the bowl lights thing and what that's really all about it's basically a voting block it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't really make those conferences any better it doesn't hurt the SEC any um it was it was much to do about nothing it was one of the most most uh non-lethal uh more sizzle than steak headlines in college football in the mm-hmm. last 10 years but it got everybody all excited and up in arms to an alliance. Oh my goodness. They're, they're, they're joining forces to knock down the SEC. It, it, it didn't amount to, to really anything. Um, Wonder you know. twins. <laughs> uh, or, or, or an elephant or Ace yeah. and Gary uh, from a different <laughs> script. But, uh, but anyway, it, it just, wow. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help but look at that. And again, if, if you listen to this podcast over the years, we are not uh, anti any conference. Like I think college football is at its best when there is geographical balance, mm-hmm. when there, when there are programs that are good, that are West of Texas, when, when you have um, more than one program dominating the landscape. Uh, so the, we're, we're not pulling for the demise of these leagues, but just the whole, the whole notion that, you're you're you know hurt over the fact that Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC. The SEC is not trying to destroy and take over the world. They're just trying to strengthen their own league, and they're at a really good place. They've got 16 programs. They're good in every sport. I think they're sitting with a pat hand right now at the blackjack table. They got an ace and a king. Whatever else the other leagues want to do, it's not going to make a difference uh, in, in the overall scheme of things. But it kind of leads me to the Big 12 real quick in, in that the news is is out, and it seems like this could happen as soon as this week, JC, where they add the same programs you and I have been talking about for years on this podcast. It's UCF, it's Cincinnati, it's BYU, and uh, help me out on the fourth one. I just drew it. Uh, Houston. Thank you, Houston, which when I did Big 12 football – I was kind of naive to the the politics of Texas, right? I had to learn that um, mm-hmm. spending time, a lot of time doing games throughout the Lone Star State. The reason why Houston, a, a, a preeminent program, a program that has had a Heisman Trophy winner and Andre Ware, who we hope to have on this podcast soon, by the way, uh, who, uh, you know, has, has 
in, in the infamous Southwest Conference was was competitive. Houston's a major market. It's uh, there's no there's no reason why Houston shouldn't have been in the Big Twelve a long time ago. But the answer, like everything else, is Texas didn't want them in there. So whatever <laughs> whatever Texas wants, Texas gets. They're, they're not the only program in Texas, to be fair, that uh, didn't want them in there. Um, but but this should this stuff should have happened four years ago. Uh, when they had their little uh, Ed McMahon talent search, uh, you know, where everybody went on stage and they did their, they did their tap dance. They sang, they juggled, they provided stand-up comedy in front of a, a select group of judges of big 12 officials that, and they were all waiting to see, well, who won, who got, who got the trophy on star search and got to go and get admittance to the Big 12 conference. And the Big 12, five years ago, looked at all that, wasted everybody's time and said, we've decided none of you have won and none of you are good enough for our mighty Big 12 conference. And and so meanwhile, as the Big 12 has sputtered to do anything relevant outside of Oklahoma, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF all played in New Year's Day bowl games while the rest of that league – much of it was squandering. So this should have been done five years ago. It, it looks like it's all but imminent that it's going to happen. And they're going to go from eight to 12, 12 after they, you know, lose Texas and Oklahoma, which I believe will be negotiated uh, to a sooner time period than what the contract states. Uh, is it a good move? Yes. Is it a logical move? Yes. Should it have been done five years ago? Yes. Does it change the fact that the big 12 has lost some prominence with Texas and Oklahoma? Absolutely not. These programs all are quality additions. It's the best move on the board, but the Big 12 has been weakened and there's just nothing you can do about it. What this does is it salvages their power five credibility and and stature where they can still get a bigger piece of the financial pie uh, and, and not having all these programs siphon off to every other league. So I give Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 credit for 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 staying alive, I didn't want to see the the, the league go to smithereens. Mm-hmm. But um, make no mistake about it, this is not the same Big Twelve that had Texas and Oklahoma. You know, I, I I'm just not. You know, I, I, look when you the further spread out you are geographically, in my opinion. The uh, the less there's a chance that your league is going to be successful. Um, remember, remember, Conference USA had 16 teams a few years back. Mm-hmm. It went, I think, from Hawaii to Louisiana or whatever. Um, it, you know, but you do have West Virginia in the league, and you know, Cincinnati's right there, so it gives them kind of a travel partner. I think UCF is a very attractive program for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, would I have liked to have seen them, you know, seen Nebraska, you know, make a move, uh, and go back where they belong, uh, money be damned. Yes. Uh, because I think if you had Nebraska, even if you don't add Colorado back, because culturally Colorado is a little different in terms of aligning themselves with the PAC 12, you know, you add Nebraska and BYU to that league, you could almost stay at 10 and be fine. Um, and then maybe you add UCF and Houston or you add Houston or whatever. Uh, 
but now you have a league that stretches from Provo, Utah to Orlando, Florida. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not going to protect them when, you know, Notre Dame ultimately tells the ACC, look, it's just not ever going to happen. And the ACC comes and adds West Virginia and maybe UCF. I mean, it's not going to protect them from that, uh, in my opinion, because I just don't know that the value is going to financially make it worthwhile. Now, it's a heck of a basketball-wise, it's awesome because Houston was a Final Four team last year. Cincinnati's a, a team that's usually really, really good. Uh, I think it adds to the other sports. But uh, for football, I just – you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And I think that what they're doing is basically going, who's good right now? Who's attractive right now? Uh, and let's go for it. And, you know, Cincinnati's been relatively good for a long time. It's kind of a cradle of coaches. So maybe there, and we talked about UCS upside, BYU is good. But I, I just, you know, I would maybe have thought a little bit more about geography. Uh, and I would have, and who's to say that, Bob Bullsley didn't call Nebraska up and he was told no, but I would have at least, you know, said, look, man, we'll even, I would have even done a deal with them to where they got a little bit more like Texas was Uh, just, just because I think you bring Nebraska back in that fold with those other teams. You do have a, a program that's been there before. That's got a big following and all that good stuff, but you know, maybe BYU, maybe this is their shot and, and all that. I just, you know, I, I am not a fan of, you know, oh, let's put, let's, let's, let's go get a team in Orlando uh, and add it to our team in Ames and team in Provo, Utah. You know, uh, to me, I would have maybe looked a little more geographic at it, but I'm a traditionalist, Mike, and well, uh, maybe I, I'm, I'm being naive. I, I don't know if you're being naive. I, I would, I would bet there was some conversations with Nebraska. Now we'll never, we'll never know the true conversation and the spirit of it and who called who and what the, what the offers on the table were. I'd be shocked if there wasn't some dialogue between the big 12 and Nebraska, mm-hmm. but uh, the calculus of that for Nebraska, in addition to how embarrassing it would be to have to tuck your tail between your legs and basically say, well, we failed to compete in the Big Ten, so here we're going back to the Big 12, pay a king's ransom buyout uh, mm-hmm. to get out of that contract, uh, to get into a Big 12 league uh, that has been significantly weakened. I'm not saying the Big 12 didn't look at that the same logic that you're you're saying and go after that. I just don't think it was feasible. And so once you realize Nebraska is not feasible – what do you do? Do you, do you stay on eight teams uh, with with very little cachet? And again, I I'll defend to the cows come home. The environment in Ames, Iowa, the environment in Manhattan, Kansas for a football game is fantastic. These are good fan bases. These are solid programs. They've invested money in the facilities like everybody else in the in the power leagues. Um, but you you don't have a powerful conference with that alone. And, and it's hard to do stuff with eight when everybody else is dealing with 14, 15, 16. So you had to, you had to make a move to, to salvage things. Heck, BYU could be competing for Big 12 championships right off the bat, the way that program will be able to uh, recruit and, and kind of the uniqueness of what the kind of kid that, that plays for BYU. 
Um, but I, I, I think you, you, you had to, unfortunately, throw ge- geography to the wind. I mean, look, there's some people that will tell you when they go to Missouri, they don't feel like they're in SEC territory at all. But it served a purpose while helping to launch a network when footprint, geographical footprint was, was very important. That's less important now with streaming and everything else. It's more about eyeballs. Um, but I just think they had to take the best four on the board. And unless the geography was so out of whack, I mean, unless we were talking like Pullman, Washington or Maine or you know, Connecticut for that matter, I, I think the Big 12 was going to have to make some less than ideal moves that still improve the conference. And I, I think that's I think that's what they're about to do on Friday. And I'm with you. I'd love to see Nebraska back in the Big 12. And I know a lot of their fans uh would love to see that. I know a lot of their former players, one in particular that I used that I used to work with, and Mike Rucker, uh, would love to see them back in the Big Twelve. That'll always be "quote unquote" where we belong. But I just don't think it's. I don't think it's happening. People that made that decision to leave are the people that still look at the benefits of being in the Big Ten that are outside of football, and, and they just they don't want to, They don't want to make that move. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm with you there. All right. Uh, Let's do a little DEFCON in closing. JC, I'm going to let you do the honors this week and, and break down the list again. DEFCON 5 is where you want to be. DEFCON 5 is Alabama. DEFCON 5 is Ohio State. DEFCON 5, um, you could say Clemson normally, Oklahoma just about, Georgia this year. That's DEFCON 5. DEFCON 1 Ooh, DEFCON 1, there's some coaches on DEFCON 1 that are worried about a pink slip. There's some programs on DEFCON 1 that just can't seem to get it together. I'm sure Nebraska would be, would be pretty low on the old DEFCON list. So it's a war games analogy. You get it. If not, uh, rent the movie. Probably you can get it for like three bucks on, uh, on streaming. Yes. It, it, it's an Oscar winner, let me tell you. Matthew Broderick, mm. before he was Ferris Bueller, playing a smart, alecky, computer geeky kid that nearly brought us to the end of human civilization. And, uh, you know, and he followed that up with the the, uh, cult classic Project X. (laughs) With him and a monkey. With the monkeys, yeah. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Matthew and a monkey. So you cannot. So anyway, I I think, yeah, wasn't he in Project X? Yeah, he sure was. Has to be, yeah. They remade Project X. They actually remade Project X. Oh, I saw the remake. Oh my god, the the house party. Yes, it was. Stop me if you've heard this before. Parents are out of town. They leave a teenager in the house all by himself. Now, Johnny, here's twenty dollars for pizza, but don't. You can invite a couple friends over, but don't let things get out of hand. And what does Johnny do? Him and his buddies organize a humongous party that gets way out of hand and there's naked women and the house gets on fire and the parents get back and Johnny's life is, is pretty much over a la Tom Cruise and risky business. So yeah, it, it, this, this script has been done before. Hey, can I just tell you real quick? Yeah. I finally saw, this is when I was in Kentucky. I finally saw a movie in person for the first time <laughs> since COVID. I'm shocked you did, Mike. What, what? Please tell me you went and saw Pig with Nick Cage. 
let go of my pig. No, I did not see a uh, pig with Nicholas. Ah, all right. Well, I saw, uh, speaking of big 12 football, I saw Stillwater with Matthew Damon. That looks pretty good. Uh, I liked know, it. I'll have I, to say. I liked it. I, I bought, I bought into it. I, I, I actually liked the movie. It was great being in a theater. Uh, it was me in a big tub of popcorn. That's the way I roll. And I enjoyed the flick and it felt good to see something on the big screen for the first time in over two years. Cause quite frankly, even before COVID, there was a lot of just garbage on the movie screen that I didn't want to drop $12 to see. But this this was a good flick. I recommend Stillwater. There you go. I'm 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 waiting to go back uh, for Ghostbusters Afterlife or uh, <laughs> and they delayed the the Top Gun sequel yet again. Tom Cruise is going to be like old, yeah, like like older than he is, like older than he looks now. By the time they release this dang thing, <laughs> uh, but I'm waiting to go back there and uh, you know I I, I I did mention that I wanted to go see Pig, but you know the person that goes to movies with me, she doesn't really like movies that require a lot of interpretation, you know, and, and stuff, <laughs> which is fine. You know, uh, anyway, you more... mentioned Top Gun. Can I give you my Tom Skerritt impersonation? Yes. Tom Skerritt, who, who plays what the, I'm going to botch this up. What's the, the hierarchy? The, the, of, the general. Uh, the, the general. Uh, what is his name? It's his call sign. Uh, Viper. Viper. No, is it Viper? Viper? No, no. Is, is he Viper? No, no. Viper's the. Uh, Viper's the, the other guy. The guy it's, that uh, shoots down Maverick. Uh, well, theoretically, shoots down Maverick. Tom Skerritt, Top Gun. No, he's Viper. You're right. You're he Viper. is Viper? Okay. Holy crap, so, it's Viper. He's probably saying, yeah. holy crap, it's Maverick and Goose. Yeah. So Tom Skerritt, not a great actor. Uh, but no. in that movie, delivers a line that that I, I've always found funny, and I've shared it with friends of mine, and they picked up on it, too, where he's talking to he's talking to Tom Cruise after Goose died, and he's talking about his old man who was, you know, just – just as much as a wild card as Maverick was. And he goes, looks at, he looks at uh, Tom Cruise, AKA Maverick. And he says, what I'm about to tell you is top secret classified. Could end my career. Like, that, like that's how he says it. Like, you know, like no big deal. I'm going to give you this information. That eh, might end my career that I've, you know, spent 30 years flying planes and, and going through all the th- different things that, a man of such stature would go through. Go back and watch that one scene, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Tom, oh, I like, uh, yeah, yeah. He was also Poison Ivy a, with Drew Barrymore. That's a whole other story. He was in uh, Steel Magnolias too. He had an, an epic. <laughs> wow. He had an, all right, so he had an epic line in Top Explain Gun. Explain yourself. All right, so I, here's my Tom Skerritt epic line. Uh, he goes, "I'm not trying to blow sunshine up your ass, Lieutenant." <laughs> yeah. That's good. There at the end. I like that one. That's, That's always good. Uh, good for me. And then but he delivered that line. Well, delivered it. Well, the, no, could, like the, the could in my career line. Not so yeah, much, not so much, but it goes. Uh, so it's still Magnolia's. They, they make the groom's cake and it's, it's this aardvark or something. And he's, he chops off the butt and he hands it to this Weezer or whatever the character. And, and, or no, she chops off the butt and hands it to him of the aardvark. He's like, nothing like a good piece of ass. In that one too, so uh, I think we could say that on podcast, right? So my my two family show, famous famous Tom Scarrett lines uh, involved, uh, you know that word. So that was uh, it. Could in my career, yeah, that was good in my career. You know, Uh, might it might not. Who the hell cares? If not, I can go back to Kinko's. You know, 
Yeah, so, there's so many epic paper. lines in the first Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so many. But uh, anyway, so DEFCON 5. I've got Ohio State, Bama. I don't know. I know Ohio State, Minnesota gave them some moments. And I thought the Gophers played pretty well. P.J. Fleck obviously has that thing, you know, at a, at a good level right now. But I got to put Ohio State and Bama right there. Uh, we'll see how the Buckeyes do this weekend against Oregon. DEFCON 4, I'm going – you know, I put Indiana because, I mean, look, Tom Allen, great job last year. They would have been in the playoff had there been a 12-team playoff. We're talking about Indiana football. But, you know, kind of a kink in the armor thing, losing 34-6 to to Iowa. Hopefully the Hoosiers respond. I put Oklahoma at DEFCON 4 because of the defense. Uh, DEFCON 3, believe it or not, I, I'm going to have to put Clemson at DEFCON 3. And, and the only reason I am is because the offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, has taken a lot of heat and has been on the record as saying some of the Twitter people out there that are calling for me to be fired, it hurts. I mean, Tony Elliott's a Clemson lifer. He's been up for other jobs. He's turned down to stay there. You know, I know some of the national media is getting in on the play calling and talking about Clemson needs to evolve on offense. And I just, you know, that – that's the only reason I, I think DEFCON 3 there. I think North Carolina's DEFCON 3 and Miami's DEFCON 3 for a number of reasons. Uh, DEFCON 2, I'm going with Georgia Tech. <laughs> this was supposed to be the year they broke through and got to a bowl and all that. Unbelievable. They lose uh, At home. to the Northern Illinois Huskies. Oh. Uh, mm. Stanford and Duke would be up here too because I, I just think – I mean, you always see all these top coaches listed. David Shaw and David Cutcliffe are both listed uh, as the top guys. And, and no argument with, with what those guys have done during their career. I think they've just been at their sta- the same place too long. You know, I, I think Cutcliffe are kind of seeing them toward the end. I still think the guy can coach, but losing to Charlotte's not good. And then, you know, Stanford hadn't been good for a minute, you know, and – you know, Shaw's one of these guys that he has a lot of opinions about how the, the game should go and SEC and all this other stuff, but the winning hadn't been there, you know, and, and I don't I don't know, Stanford may not ever fire him or whatever, but he, know, he had a he had a window. He had yeah. a window three, four years ago, JC. And look, I'll admit when I was wrong, we used to do a segment hits and misses. Mm-hmm. I was buying stock in David Shaw. I thought he would actually be, and he still might, uh be a guy that gets an NFL job. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, he was hot. He, he was, he was hot. And then what has happened? I don't know, but it, it, he has fallen from grace. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know mistakes in recruiting style of offense. I don't know. There could be a lot of things, you know, Cal lost at home, um, 22 to 17, I think to Nevada, uh, Nevada's right. not a bad team, but uh, the coach there is really uh, – Norvell, I think, has done well. Uh, but Cal, you know, you got to feel bad if you lose that one. There's all kinds of mess right now at Washington State because their coach apparently didn't want to get the vaccine. Now he's going to be forced by law in that state to get the, the COVID vaccine. And then they open up with a three-point loss to Utah State. This is not Matt Wells' Utah State. This is not Gary Anderson's Utah State the first time. This is kind of a rebuilding kind of Utah State. And, you know, from what I've heard out there, for the people that stayed on, you know, and played under Rolovich last year compared to Leach, he's a different kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, And 
going from Mike Leach to him has been kind of a culture shock for a lot of these folks. Right. Um, but, you know, losing at home like that, you know, and then the, all the other off-the-field drama. You know, I'm going to go LSU at DEFCON, too. Now, they could probably slide back down because, like I said, like you said, I think UCLA is impressive. I really, mm-hmm. really do. Um, but, you know, again, there's off-the-field stuff right there. And I think Nebraska got off of DEFCON 1 by beating Fordham. 52 to seven, uh, but Illinois losing at home to Texas San Antonio probably did not do any favors for Scott Frost. Uh, and then DEFCON one, I'm going to have to say the league uh, as a whole, the ACC as a whole. <laughs> and that's just kind of funny. Uh, and yep. then, uh, then I'm going to put Vanderbilt up there just because that was, and look, they're not going to fire Clark Lee two or three more years. They're going to let him build, but, that was a bad, bad sign, especially when you consider the last guy who they held on to for a lot longer than they should have. You know, he took over a team that, you know, Clark Lee took over a winless team. Uh, Derry Mason takes over a uh, team that had won 18 games in two years, had a lot of key players back uh, yeah. from James Franklin. Changes all the schemes, decides he's right. going to go – Different and proceeded to get beat by Matt Rule and Temple at home, thirty-seven to seven. And where did he come from? In his opener, he came from Stanford. Mike he came under Stanford, under David Shaw. So yeah. now he's at uh, he's at Auburn now. Auburn's defense looked pretty good, but right, yeah, I, I've, I've got to have Vandy on DefCon one, and this this not doesn't necessarily mean that they need to you know fire Clark Lee right now and go in another direction. What this means is. This is worse than people thought. There's a ways to go. Uh, if they can just be competitive this year uh, in certain games, and, and look, they may get teams get better, you know, especially after a loss like that. Mm-hmm. Heck, maybe they do beat Colorado State this weekend. And I do like their chances against UConn, to be honest. But, uh, you know, that would be the one, you know, Georgia Tech loss was ugly. All these other Washington's loss was ugly, all that. But, East Tennessee State is just now getting their football program back. Um, that's a that's a tough one, uh, I think, to stomach uh, if you're a Commodores fan to lose by 20 at home. And, and you got to see it up close, but uh, that would be my DEFCON one for the week. They had a, a five foot 11 quarterback who played mistake free. They had a running back who looked like the best athlete on the field. Talk about ETSU. Um, and they had a defense that stymied not one but two Vanderbilt quarterbacks uh and Vandy's got a bunch of six foot four wide receivers that can't separate so um yeah that 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 was a tough that was a tough look uh yeah. I, I like Clark Lee I like the higher but but that's that was a tough look for sure and I'm with you on Scott Frost but we might have to come up with a DEFCON 0.5 for Scott Frost hmm. um it, it just seems like it just seems like they want him out in the worst way and he looks like a deer in the headlights now. He looks like a guy that every night he goes, puts his head on the pillow and says, I should have just stayed at UCF. Because he wasn't leaving for any other job. You know, Florida wanted him. He wasn't leaving for Florida. He wasn't leaving for the next Power 5 gig. He, there was only one job he was going to bolt for, and that was his alma mater. And it has been uh, disastrous in, uh, in Lincoln. They got the University so. of Buffalo this weekend. Buffalo is a uh, they could lose a, that game. A, a pesky team, guys. Yeah. But uh, uh, they blew out Wagner last week. But uh, that was Fordham, you know, wasn't it? 
Uh, no, uh, Buffalo blew out. Oh, Wagner, Buffalo blew <laughs> 69 to seven. Uh, yeah. and, and then in two weeks, the rivalry is renewed at Oklahoma. And then they play at Michigan State, who looked pretty good against Northwestern. Yeah, uh, opening up. Mel Tucker's got a transfer running back from Wake Forest, rushed for two hundred sixty-four yards in that game. So, who's the running back again? Do you remember? Oh, his name is. I'll have it for you right now. Kenneth but, Walker the third. Okay, yeah, because I had I had Wake last year. Twenty-three um, carries, two hundred sixty-four yards, four touchdowns. Low three-star kid from a place called Arlington, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. which was right near uh, Franklin and Spring Hill, south of Nashville. Used to live near Arlington. There's a winery there. I had no idea they had running backs, you know, because yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just not a place that's uh, synonymous with football. But, you know, Wake Forest goes and finds players. Mike, uh, David Clawson found this guy, obviously. Uh, and then he goes and just it just tears Northwestern up the other night. Uh, very impressive Michigan State, you know, with the exception of those uh, – those uniforms with the cursive state on the side of the helmets. I don't like those, but uh, you know, they, they were pretty good against Northwestern. Um, All right. If we're, if we're going next level on numbers, I'm putting, I'm putting a surprise team and player on DEFCON five. All right. I'm, I'm putting the, the one and only Ren Hefley of PC Presbyterian college, the blue hose. Uh, how about Ren Hefley, the transfer from Michigan, through 10 touchdown passes to lead PC to an 84-43 win over St. Andrews of NAIA fame. Uh, that game took place on Saturday in South Carolina. Kevin Kelly is PC's coach, and you might have seen a thing or two on him on the internet. He is one of these guys that never punts. Never. It could be 4th and 30. They're going for it. It could be 4th and 10 from their own 10. They're going for it. They don't have a punter on the roster. They do not punt ever, period, ever. So that's what they're that's what they're doing over there at PC. Congratulations to Ren Hefley, an FCS record, 10 touchdown passes. DEFCON 5 for you, sir. Yes, the the Blue Hose in Clinton, South Carolina. Just uh that's a tough job. You know, some of those little schools in South Carolina, they'll, they'll get some players together and win. You know, we've seen uh, Jamie Chadwell win at Charleston Southern and Coastal now. Um, uh, you know, PC, uh, Furman's been good. Wofford's been good over the years. Presbyterian has been a long, hard struggle, <laughs> especially with them going to FCS. Now they've dropped kind of back down. Uh, but uh, the guy that doesn't punt is a heck of a – that's a heck of a hire, you know. I mean, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to get relevance, you, you go and do it. And it looks like they were having a lot of fun, eighty four to forty three, on Saturday. I don't know where St. Andrews is from, but uh, you know, I don't know anything about them. But uh, anytime you can score eighty four, uh, that's a pretty good game. Yeah, I, I've heard of teams that don't kick the ball ever. Right? They yeah. they don't go for field goals. They don't go for extra points. They never kick. This this is a rare one where they never actually punt, and I don't expect they will punt uh, throughout the year. So that'll be a fun story to keep an eye on. Now, before we close up shop here, I want to remind everybody, a fun person to deal with, Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. If you're looking uh, for a new mortgage, a refi, maybe you're building a home and you need a new uh, construction loan, 
this is a guy who's not only good at the bottom line, which is saving you thousands of dollars, he will get you the lowest rate. He's done that for me four times over the years. Many uh, friends of mine, family, and of course, listeners of this podcast, he's helped out. And he can help you out as well. He's also great to deal with. When I give you this phone number, it's not like some switchboard. This is not some uh, national outfit. Well, yes, he is backed by Ameris Bank, but this is his cell number. You can call him any hour of the night. Wake him up in the middle of the night. You tell him Mike Morgan told you to. I don't care. He won't care either because he just wants to help you save money. Everybody wins in that scenario. 803-319-1777. 803-319-1777. There's a lot of things going on with the economy right now. There's no guarantee these rates are going to last much longer at this rate. Do not waste time. Call Stuart Wingo today. 803 319 Seven seven. Uh, JC, some final thoughts. Um, yeah, just looking forward to a uh, good second weekend. We're going to have kind of an epic week three, so uh, peaking down the road at that a little bit. But uh, looking it, forward. It is to kind some, of a sandwich week, isn't it? It, it is, and, and week two normally is. Uh, but uh, shoot, that Cy Hawk Trophy game in the state of Iowa. I can't remember when this game meant this much between two really impressive ranked teams. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to the Holy War, Utah, BYU, uh, and all the games that we saw. Plus, you know, we'll see if the, you know, like I said, that that Pitt-Tennessee game, that that could be something that the ACC can hang its hat on a little bit if uh, if they're so fortunate to go in there and, and win at Neyland Stadium, which I, I think they're capable of doing it, Pitt is. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're a line favorite in the game. But uh, – We'll see sort of what happens there. So should be a yeah. good weekend. Uh, Texas, Arkansas, uh, yes. for a lot of different reasons, historical reasons, you can have a lot of fun with that one. And and, and very sneaky is Kentucky, Missouri. Um, you know, the winner of that game is going to be feeling awfully good about themselves. The loser, uh, you're, you're going to see some vulnerabilities perhaps, and maybe that will open the door for some other programs to move up the ladder in the Eastern division, everybody and their grandmother is picking Georgia in the East. That's not going to change. Most have Florida second, but three through six, as I've said all along, that sh- that should be a heck of a parlay in Vegas. If you can predict that one correctly. Uh, so I'll be keeping an eye on what goes down over there in Lexington as well. JC, always a pleasure. We'll do this again next week. Have some more fun. Remind the folks if they haven't already uh, done this, like thousands of you have, how they can take advantage uh, and listen to this podcast each and every week. Sure. Just go to Apple podcast, hit that subscribe button. Uh, we appreciate it. If you, uh, if you rate us five stars, if you don't have Apple, you can also go to Google play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're also on audible, which is the audio book app from Google. Uh, you can find us on also, if you're listening to your audio books, you can just plug in some JC and Morgan and, have a good time and listen to it that way. All kinds of ways you can listen to the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. We know there's a lot of options out there. Really appreciate the, the kind words so many of you have had over the years as this has uh, grown and grown. And uh, so many of you have decided uh, this is worth at least an hour out of your week. And we'll continue to bring it to you each and every week. Hope your team wins this weekend. We'll talk about it next time. For JC, Mike Morgan saying so long for the JC and Morgan Podcast.